to the Family Medicine Podcast. We explore stories, journeys, opinions, and philosophies within the field of family medicine and primary care. And now, the host of the show, Ross Tanning. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in again. This is episode two with Dr. Jeffrey Bacon. And before we get to the interview, I want to take care of a couple of items of housekeeping and share the good news with you that we are now on iTunes podcasts, which is really exciting for me. We're there. We're on Spotify. You can find us on soundcloud.com slash family medicine podcast. And so really now wherever podcasts are found, you can search Family Medicine Podcast and look for our logo with the red mountains and the stethoscope. Uh, You can leave a review, you can rate us, you can like us, you can follow and subscribe. So uh, please do that and spread the word to a family member, a coworker, a friend, anybody who you think might enjoy interviews with family physicians and and discussions on family med. On top of that, you can reach us with any questions or comments at um, our email address, which is familymedicinepodcast at gmail.com. So if you know of any physicians you'd like to be on the podcast or any topics you'd like to have discussed, possibly specific questions to ask, reach out there, familymedicinepodcast at gmail.com. All right, now let's get into the interview with Dr. Jeffrey Bacon. We had an extensive list of topics that we talked about, but he didn't really need much help from me. I feel like he could have talked for a lot longer on basically each and every one of these topics, but we covered everything from being a leader as a physician to the differences in rural and urban family practice, including the way he trains residents to have a, what he called a full bag of procedures and full scope family medicine. He talked about the low tech side of things such as uh, osteopathic manipulations and and how they're critical for his practice. But he also talked about using technology as a tool and telemedicine and how not just in family medicine, he's seeing it used more and more in uh, rural environments, but also in um, specialties such as cardiology where He's seeing telecardiology being used. We also talked about preventive medicine and how patient education and patient medical literacy plays such a huge role for for improving outcomes. And a topic that he was incredibly passionate about was physician wellness and burnout. And he shares a little bit of his own experience as well as giving some statistics on the matter. And lastly, he leaves us with words of wisdom and advice. And basically, he just says that this is a great time to be in medicine and especially primary care. And and it left me feeling pretty optimistic about the uh, state of things. So without any further ado, please welcome Dr. Jeffrey Bacon. Dr. Bacon, it's an honor to speak with you on the phone today. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. 
I figure let's just get right into the interview. So can you tell me a little bit about your journey and your background and uh, maybe a little bit about how your practice looks today? Perfect. So uh, my name is Dr. Jeff Bacon. I'm a, a um, family practice physician who started at Kirksville College of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, and I went out into practice. I did my residency in Kansas City, Missouri, and then I went out into rural family practice in Missouri Valley, Iowa for four years doing full-scope family practice, uh, including inpatient medicine, outpatient medicine, ER, and OB. Um, and then I moved from that area to uh, Sterling, Colorado, where I've been for the last uh, 19 years. And uh, I reduced my practice to no OB, um, but I still do full, uh, still do full-scope family practice um in in the rural setting um and then just recently within the last three years i have switched to more of an administrative role where i'm now the chief medical officer for sterling regional med center east morgan county hospital and overall a community hospital and then i also serve as the divisional medical director for those three hospitals as well Oh, wow. So in addition to your full scope family practice, you've been an administrator, a medical director, and you've also um, been on the board and president of a number of organizations. Yeah. So I, uh, I also do a few other things. I've been past president of uh, the Colorado Society of Osteopathic Medicine, uh, past president of the Colorado um, uh Academy of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Um, and then recently we started a residency here in Sterling as well, a real track residency here in Sterling. And I'm co-site director for that as well. Wow. So you have a lot going on. I'm interested in your journey to leadership and what it means to be a leader in medicine within the communities that you work in, especially the, the rural setting. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that I've realized as you go through your career um, is once you step into the rural setting, and, and I have this conversation with my providers all the time, is as soon as you step into that rural setting and you are a physician, you are automatically a leader in that community. And so a lot of different asks will come upon you as you as you do that. Um Anything from being the medical director for the local college's EMT program to being a part of the emergency medical system medical director, there's an assumption that, that there's going to be that ability to be that leader of the, phys of the physician setting in, in that area. And as you grow through it, you realize that um, that is a calling and that um, there's a lot, just like being a being able to have a good skill set in, in healthcare and being able to diagnose and treat patients, there's a skill set that goes along with that for being a good leader as well. And so one of the gifts I think that we have as a, as a small rural leader is that ability to express the needs in a rural community uh, as a physician uh, to, to the public or to a higher level in the state so that we can have that same 
conversation and say, you know, what does this look like in a rural area? What does this look like in the urban setting? And being able to speak or communicate about that is, is greatly important. Yeah, and I, I, I hope you don't mind if I ask you to do that right now, um, kind of if you could elaborate the differences of um, family medicine or just the general medical needs in the rural setting versus a suburban or urban setting. Um, what are those different um, needs that, that play into your life as a doctor? So one of the, one of the things that we do in Sterling uh, is train family medicine uh, residents to be full scope family practice. And when, when that question, uh, when you asked me that question, that's what immediately popped up is when I was, when I was uh, president of the Colorado Society of Osteopathic Medicine, um, my vice president was from Denver. Mm-hmm. And we had a conversation about our differences in practice, and it really does resonate with me, the differences in practice. Um, in a rural setting, Family practice is from birth to death uh, and caring for patients um, from their birth and, and all the way to and through their death. And so um, not every rural family practice is this way, but what we train for is to give you that bag of skill set that if you need to do obstetrics, you're comfortable doing obstetrics and delivering babies. And then care and management of a neonate up until the time that they um, turn into an adult is, is a critical factor for family practice in the rural setting as well. And then end of life care is super important and looking at um, from adult to the elderly in the geriatric population. And so, um, and the ability to manage those all in, in a family setting is super important. Um, I can tell you in my practice in, in Sterling, you know, there would be a day where I would go in for a C-section and, and take care of the baby and then go have a conversation later that day about end-of-life care at the nursing home with the family. And so that's, that's the gamut you see in a, a rural family practice setting. In an urban setting, it, it can be similar. Um, but there's usually more providers and more specialists that are able to take care of some of those needs, like within the nursing home or in obstetrics, or that may do more of the procedural-based stuff than in a rural setting. Uh, right. our, our providers here, our, our providers here do colonoscopy, OB, um, and, and do inpatient as well. So I, I think that's the difference that I see. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about your journey to becoming a rural family physician? Was it something that you were always interested in or something that you found a little bit later? Yeah, so I, I kind of chuckle about that because uh, I actually went to college in Kansas to be a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in my freshman year of college, I was uh, all about English. And then I figured out through a one-month rotation with my family practice physician in Nebraska that I really enjoyed, really, really enjoyed taking care of patients. And, and, uh, and so as my career has moved on, I realized that there's things that I love and things that I don't love. And, and so, um, 
when you go to training, the whole goal is to get that full bag of procedures right. in family medicine, especially if you're going into a rural area that you can that you can use. And then as you grow in your practice, you realize, man, I love sports medicine, or man, I love uh, manipulation, or man, I love um, obstetrics. And and you keep those things that you love as your passion. Um, one of the things that I love about rural health is I could walk down the street in my town and tell you about, um, about 90% of the people I either know or have seen at some point in the past. And, and so I treat my community as our family. Right. That's so beautiful to me that, uh, you have such a intimate experience with, uh, your whole community. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned osteopathic manipulations um, kind of generally, and I wanted to ask a little bit more specifically how OMM and OMT has played a role in your practice. I'm thinking it could be useful for either acute injuries, such as a sports injury, or be really useful as a part of chronic pain management. Yeah, I think if it's uh, osteopathic manipulation is, is so critical and in multiple different areas of a rural practitioner skill set. Um, anywhere from uh, um, non-high velocity techniques in pregnancy uh, to help eliminate some of the pain from round ligament pain and, and some of the cranial sacral type stuff that you can do in OB to sports medicine where it's an acute type pain where um, Taking care of the, the athlete and getting them back to return to play is critical. Um, to a longer term setting or a end of life care setting, where maybe some rib raising or some some gentle uh, counter strain would be super helpful in making that happen. And so, in my practice, it was an integral part. I I did osteopathic manipulation at least. Um, two or three times a day or two, at least two or three patients a day would come in to do that. Um, and sometimes up to eight to 10 a day would come in and, and do that. Um, on a, nor on a healthy individual is super helpful too, especially with the amount of time we spend on the computer and internet. Now it was, it was pretty much a staple of, of the practice. That's so great to me. And maybe it shouldn't be such a shock, that such a low-tech technique can be just so useful in modern medicine. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of patients, I have a lot of return patients because of that, because there is great relief um, a lot of times instantly and a lot of times in a day or two that make people come back for that piece of it. That's so great to me, and I hope it's a good transition to kind of go from talking about the low-tech, high-touch side of family medicine, such as osteopathic manipulations and OMT, to talking and asking a little bit more about how technology plays into the, uh, the life of a family physician in a rural setting. I know a lot of docs are using telemedicine to great effect. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and possibly any other uh, new technology or techniques that are coming up for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a great opportunity to look at technology as a strength for us. Um, and there's a couple of different areas where I see it being a strength. 
Um, one is in that assistance to provide care to the patient. And I think uh, one of those areas is in telemedicine. Um, in all our Banner Health facilities, we have what's called EICU, which is where we have an intensivist in our ICUs that is um, from a different location. And so they assist the family practice physicians or our residents and that ability to care for that critical patient. And being a, being a uh, older gentleman, I remember what it was like to do that by myself, and it just didn't feel good when you were hanging on the phone waiting to talk to the specialist and not, not having that support. Um, in present day, we push a button, the intensivist shows up on the screen and is right there with you thanks to the use of our new telemedicine and tele, telehealth piece. The, other, the other, e, other area where I see this in my CMO role is with the new advances in artificial intelligence, we can really risk stratify patients and look at them as far as whether they're low risk, moderate risk, or high risk, and do some predictive values on that and say this is this is an area where of concern for this patient. Um, plus, we can also keep track of things in our with our new technology to make sure that we're doing things in a quality and safe manner for our patients, which is our primary concern. Yes, it's so clear to me that forming connections, physician to patient or physician to physician or the whole healthcare team um, is just beneficial for everybody. And if we can do that long range, then that is spectacular. Are there any other interesting new uses of technology that uh, you can think of that might play into the practice of a family doc? One area that we uh, are really delving into now is telecardiology and that ability to look at that um, chronic complex patient and treat them from afar with cardiology as well. And it's been very successful in our, in our facilities uh, recently as well. Tell me more about that. How does that uh, work exactly? So we have a cardiologist who is in Sterling who does outreach to facilities in Wyoming. <clears throat> and um, the issue is in, in the middle of um, rural Colorado when there are large storms, there's not that ability to travel. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then for the patient to be able to travel down to our facility sometimes can be very burdensome to the patient. And so when you integrate things like telemedicine into this, um, the physician can be on one side of a monitor and have a visit with the patient on the other side of the monitor who has a, a someone available on that side. And it makes travel easier, it makes access easier, and it makes diagnosing easier. So. Um, it really is a wonderful opportunity for us to do that. One of the things that goes along with that is new tools like uh, e-telescope, or e-stethoscope, not telescope, e-stethoscope, which um, you can place on the patient, and it's, it's kind of crazy. You can actually you can hear the heartbeat on the other side of the screen. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so can this sort of technology yeah. be used uh, I guess in someone's home or would they need to go to a facility that has, you know, the other end of the, uh, the cup and the string? 
So, very good question. And I think presently it is in our facility. So, you would go to a local clinic in your town and and see the specialist. But to your point, in the future, what do I see? I think it will probably go into the patient's home. Oh, well, that's great. Now, I wanted to go back to something that sparked my interest a couple minutes ago that you mentioned uh, when we were talking about cardiology. And you mentioned the idea of risk stratification and putting patients into a high risk or medium or, I guess, moderate and low risk categories. And I wanted to know how does that play into your practice with other chronic illnesses or diseases other than just cardiovascular stuff? Not necessarily just chronic illnesses as well. So another place where we use this is in our obstetrics and looking at ability to deliver a normal healthy baby. And so one of the things we do in our facility presently is look at our list of pregnant patients and say, you know, are they going to deliver a normal healthy baby? Have they been going to all their prenatal care? Or are there risks that are associated with it? Things like um, pregnancy-induced hypertension or diabetes or obesity. And looking at those different areas of risk and saying, what's the potential for this patient to come in and have to have an emergency section or or have the ability to deliver normally? And, and so um, we risk stratify there as well, looking at what's low risk which would be a patient like who is got on their first pregnancy and never and fairly healthy and never had any issues compared to a high risk patient, which would be somebody who's um, over the age of 35 who may be obese and have hypertension issues and diabetic issues already. And looking at those parts of the gamut and then saying, how can we focus to um, take care of those risks so that they present less of a potential to uh, cause harm to the mom or baby. Right. And that makes me want to ask more about preventive medicine in general, not just in obstetrics, but in children, adolescents, and adult patients. How does a rural fr- family practice doc use preventive medicine in in um, preventing chronic illness or I suppose any illness? Well, it really depends on the disease, but one of the things that we like to do is the team approach. And so um, a lot of that um, in my mind is about education of the patient. So if you have diabetes, then are we educating you on the diabetic uh, issues that you may run into? And are we teaching you how to take, take care or manage your diabetes? And so um, one of the things our rural providers do is really focus in on things like making sure you have a hemoglobin A1C every three months, making sure that you are on Medicaid, the appropriate medication, and then really collaborating as a team with that patient to say, you know, here are the risks that I see with you. Your cholesterol is out of, out of whack, your hypertension is out of whack, and your diabetes is out of whack. And here are the resources that we can provide for you, not just putting patients on medication, but also learning about their disease and learning how to 
manage their disease. Yeah, what kind of resources um, are you able to provide for them uh, in terms of educational materials? So we have lots of different healthcare facilities. Even in our rural areas, we have lots of different healthcare facilities that work in specific disease processes. Anything from Centennial Mental Health, who works in our behavioral health piece, uh, to our health department that has um, education about infectious diseases or or some of those things. So knowing in a rural area what your resources are are is is a critical thing, and then being able to refer to um, maybe it's a pharmacist who does me- medical reconciliation or or home health who can provide that care within a home setting for an elderly patient. Having that list of resources is really good to help focus on the on the team approach to caring for a patient. That's great. And in rural family medicine, do you ever feel limited, not by your scope of practice, because I know you talked about how uh, a rural uh, FM physician will usually have you know more skills and more training in in diverse uh, skill sets. Um, but do you ever feel limited by just the the lack of resources around you, or uh, are you missing anything that would really help you uh, be able to provide more full care for a patient or a group of patients? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that you learn as you get out into your uh, own practice is that a lot of things you have to manage yourself that may not normally be managed by family practice just because of that ab- not ability to get people into the appropriate place. Like maybe there's a gap in, in endocrinology or maybe there's a gap in cancer services or, or those things. So you learn to adapt to those and utilize the resources that you have um, but at the same time, you learn to manage the things that you do. Yes. And what a good transition, because I wanted to ask about a topic that I know you personally are very passionate about, which is the topic of physician burnout. Now, I, I wanted yeah. to ask, basically, what are some good lessons that you have personally learned about physician burnout? And specifically, I'm thinking about the youngsters in medicine, the medical students, the residents, the young physicians. What are things that they or we, I should say, could be doing to help prevent burning out? Yeah, I, uh, I'm, that's one of my passionate areas is, is about physician wellness and burnout. And um, it's really stimulated some thought in, in our organization looking at how can we approach this, especially for those that are in a, in a younger uh, level than, than where I'm at. And one of the things that we realized is, number one, educating on what burnout is. Um, I'll just tell you, when I transferred from, or from Iowa to Colorado, I was looking back at it, I was burnout. Um, I was emotionally exhausted somewhat cynical and I felt like I didn't accomplish anything. And so when you talk about burnout, those are the three areas that we look at are personal accomplishment, cynicism, and emotional exhaustion. 
And to your point, the scary factor with this is if you look at most Medscape literature, they say residents um, have about a 50% burnout rate already. Wow. And, and so one of the things that we've looked at is how can we come back on that and say, can we provide a positive um, experience within our organization for our family medicine um, practitioners? And so we look at um, a model that we use, which is called the Swenson model, um, which originated at Mayo Clinic and is, and Dr. Swenson is now at Intermountain Health. And one of the things that we look at is how do we integrate pieces of that Swenson model into our present activities for our younger physicians and for our practicing physicians already. And, and so some of the things that we do with that um, on our organizational level is we developed a program called the Cultivating Happiness mm-hmm. in Medicine uh, program, which really focuses in on work-life balance for providers and saying, are we doing justice to what they're doing? You know, a family practice provider, especially in a rural area, works long and hard. And so how do we adjust for that and how do we work around that to to give them what they need as far as um, components to that? One of the first things that pops up in that is leadership. And do your leaders realize what you're doing and how you're doing? And do they help to accommodate for some of the long hours and difficult things that you see? Um, They're along that same line is looking at um, and educating on um, second victim syndrome or if you're a provider and a bad thing happens to your patient, how do you deal with that? And looking at, are there opportunities for us to deal with that on a, on a better level at time of service or right after time of service with our providers to make sure that they're okay? Because one of the things that we realized when we started this group is, you know, we are all people. We all deal with stress. We all learn about coping mechanisms, but are we all using them correctly? in the right place and in the right setting. Right. Um, another, another, another piece with that that we, we do is, as part of our cultivate, cultivating happiness and medicine piece is collaborating events. Uh, and especially in the rural areas, this is an opportunity for our providers to come together and spend time together and share stories about things that they need to share stories about so that they have that feeling of being a part of a team. That's great. And when I think of work-life balance, I I almost uh, get to a point where I'm thinking of, oh, well, it's something that uh, us young medical students seem to care a lot about. And But is that because we are spoiled little millennials who, you know, want to have more free time and don't want to work as hard? Or is it something that we have realized is a really important aspect to being the best practitioner that we can be and and uh, having longevity within the field. So I think that's a, a really important point um, to hit on from uh, your perspective. You do bring up a really good point. Yeah, you do bring up a really good point. And, you know, the Surgeon General just recently said that he would consider burnout the second most, most common health issue after opioids. Wow. Um, 
because of the issues that are going on presently. When you look at physician suicide, there was a whole medical school worth of, of physicians that killed themselves last wow. year. And so I, I do find value in that because over 300 physicians committed suicide. And so, you know, of the passions that I have, this is one area I'm extremely passionate about. And part of it, I think you spoke very eloquently about is I think millennials are better educated about work-life mm-hmm. balance and how that applies than someone like me who's a Gen Xer um, who may say, well, you know, I'm, I'm married to my work. That's not necessarily the case today. And how do we look to strike the balance that is important to millennials as well as to our employer as well? Yeah, absolutely. If, the, if there was anything else that you could change about healthcare in America to, to better serve the patient population or, or your specific patient population, uh, what would you say that you would uh, pick? One of the things that uh, we, w- we are discussing presently and some of our programs that we do for the state, like the hospice, hospital transformation program, is looking just at that piece of it and saying, is there an ability to drive change in a rural community? And one of the things that comes up again and again and again is education of our patients. And having them come alongside us and align with us in their healthcare journey. And so the one thing that I see as an opportunity is medical literacy of Mm -hmm. our patients. And what I mean, what I mean by that is if I have a 70 year old patient who is going in to get a total hip replacement with our local orthopedic surgeon, does he know that he's going to spend some time rehabilitating from that total hip? Does he know that he's going to have some pain associated with that total hip? And then if he has any other chronic complex issues, does he know how that will affect those chronic complex issues? Yeah, that's so great because I, I just love the, the concept of uh, getting patients uh, a high medical literacy I know that from my education and my experience that getting to patients as early as possible is the most beneficial thing we can do for them. And I think it's interesting. We talked a little bit about preventive medicine. It seems to me in healthcare in America, in general, we have pounds of cure, but not really an ounce of prevention. And I was wondering your thoughts on that. Well, that's, that's, exactly, yeah, that's exactly where um, our drive to build a rural training mm-hmm. track residency program came from is one of the needs or the gaps that we see is in the future there's going to be a, a large shortage of primary care yes. physicians. And our little piece of that rock is to say, well, let's build our own primary care physicians that have the ability to do the things that we just Mm -hmm. talked about and have the ability to be comfortable in a maybe an isolated or a rural setting or a town of 5,000 and be that spokesperson for medical education or be that spokesperson for the culture of change that we were talking about and be able to have those conversations without 
any issues. And so we, that was one of our goals here in Sterling is to really drive that rural track residency family practice physician that can do that wherever they may go. Yes. And I know that from my perspective in medical school as a second year student, that there's so much to learn about treatment and diagnosis and just a bajillion things to memorize. And I noticed my, my mind always kind of wandering a little bit more towards wondering about prevention of chronic disease and chronic illness. There's so many diseases that have reached epidemic proportions, such as diabetes or obesity, cardiovascular diseases, hypertension. So what can a young budding physician be thinking about when thinking about these diseases? The other, the other area that our residents are just starting to look into as well is, is the social determinants of health and how those play a factor in healthcare as well. And so we have a small committee that's working on that to say, you know, um, and I love one of the residents put this together and said, that's understanding the whole patient. And, and I absolutely love that fact is maybe the education goes back to the provider as much as it does to the patient on this patient may be able to afford medicine, but this one may not. This patient may have transportation to a clinic, this patient does not. And so part of that education goes back to our residents to know their, know their patients enough to say, I can't write the branded name diabetic medication because he'll never pay for, be able to pay for that. Um, or, or I can give him assistance and he, and he will be able to do that. Okay, that's great. I am wondering about health coaching as a practice. Is that something that you have utilized in the past or other rural family physicians uh, around you utilize that you know of? We do. We do a lot of health coaching, especially around the perinatal area. Um, looking at, we have a 100% exclusive breastfeeding project that we look at. And so we do some education with our nursing staff with that piece and, you know, basically the what to expect when you're expecting part as well. We have scheduled classes and implementation stuff that we do in the perinatal area. We also do the same thing in some of our mental health and behavioral pieces just to bring out, and there again, it's a collaborative a collaborative group that does that with our behavioral health services to say, um, how do we get these patients back on the right track and moving forward? That's great. And so those um, classes are not really, are they led by physicians or are they led by other people who have kind of health coaching certifications that work with the team? Both. And so I think that's the unique piece that we have here in Sterling is we have, um, we have a wellness department, which can lead some of that piece mm -hmm. as well, but the physician, and they always tap into our physicians to say, will you come and, and be in this class with us and kind of coach us through this. That's great. Well, I, I really want to be respectful of your time, which is coming to an end here. So thank you so much for being on the podcast with me and telling uh, me uh, so much about your practice and your experience and your perspective on family medicine. Yeah. So if you don't mind, I'd like to just ask to uh, leave us with some parting words of wisdom or an inspiring idea for the, the young budding physicians out there. 
Well, I, I would just say that it's a great time to be in medicine. Um, I think there's so much education out there, and I know in the in the uh, medical school setting, sometimes it seems hard to um, see that there's light at the end of the tunnel, but the light at the end of the tunnel that you are seeing is a wonderful opportunity for um, the future. And I think the future of medicine is bright. I think with the things that we've talked about as far as integrating medicine into a team approach, it will make it even brighter. And at the lead of that or at the head of that is the primary care physician. Um, obviously, I'm biased about being in the rural area. Um, everybody asks, you know, if I ha ever had to do it over again, would I do what I do? And the answer I always come back with, without a doubt, absolutely I would. I love it. That's amazing. And that is truly inspiring for me personally, but I hope to uh, other listeners of the podcast, whether they be seasoned physicians or, or medical students anywhere, I just want to uh, thank you very much for coming on. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Almost everything that you ever wanted to know about rural family practice. So thank you once again to Dr. Bacon. And he wanted me to make clear that he says hello to Dr. Ross and Dr. Pitcher over at Rocky Vista University. So hello from Dr. Bacon. I hope the sound quality was good enough for, for everybody on this podcast. I know it was uh, a phone interview, but I think it sounded all right to me. You can always let me know in the comments on iTunes or perhaps by uh, reaching out at familymedicinepodcast at gmail.com. That's where you can uh, get a hold of us for any sort of questions, comments, whatnot. Please don't be afraid to tell a friend or a family member about how much you're enjoying and that you think they might enjoy as well. So we have a couple of interesting interviews lined up for the coming weeks, which I'm excited about. I hope you guys are too. Uh, once again, thank you so much to Dr. Bacon and Dr. Pitcher for setting this up. And thank you so much to the handsome and dapper gentleman at the Delicious Dishes for the music that's about to play us out. So enjoy. And we'll see you soon. Now just add a little pizzazz, you know what I'm saying? Pizzazz. Thanks for listening to the Family Medicine Podcast. Remember to subscribe, follow, like, or whatever you do to show your dignity. Tune in next time. Her uterus was the universe, and it bloomed and birthed the moon and the earth. Nothing ever happened till it was observed by the first animals with optic nerves. It was a fight for survival. Many died though, friends were formed to fight mutual rivals. Man and woman appeared and they realized there was a thing called love, bringing joy into their lives. Boom, they were civilized, went from stones and bones to phones and drones as many kings took the throne. Built empires and the story's well known. History ticks along like a metronome. And then I came to be, learned to 
to walk, talk, and throw stuff All grown up, I got a job now and showing up I'm sleep deprived, I'm misaligned My appetite is primed to feed the ego almost all the time And then I met you, lovely and smooth You quickly removed my modern man's blues I wanna celebrate every breath that I take Cause I'm afraid I'm dreaming and I don't wanna wait So baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know The universe was my universe but I left to pursue the search of love But sometimes it hurt along the way If there's anything I've learned Create a garden Plant flowers in the dirt I'm gonna be the sunshine and rain Protect you from the pain As I push you toward the flames Play the game and wonder Am I the hunted or the hunter? When I was younger I met God and I hugged her She said, hey baby Instead of getting lost within How about you try to walk a mile in my moccasin Stop, begin Let the thoughts and visions Guide you further down the road Going inch by inch Don't sprint it slow, protect your soul, travel long and far, but make sure to come home, cause the love that's here is what keeps you going, and gives you the power and the freedom to grow, let's giggle and laugh and rise up through the stress, this life is crazy, but it's the goddamn best, when life gets complex, don't think, just do it first, it was simpler when the uterus was so big, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know, baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know The uterus was my universe The uterus was my universe The uterus was my universe And then I met you the uterus was my universe. Rain. The uterus was my Walk universe. Walk a mile in my moccasin. The uterus was my universe. Going. The uterus was my universe. Sure to come home. The uterus was my universe. And then I met you. The uterus was my universe. This life is crazy, but it's the goddamn best. When the uterus was my universe. So baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. And forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. And forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. And forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. And forever gonna grow into something we don't know.